Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. I think there just has to be a willingness and an openness within the culture of the company to go ahead and call a spade a spade. And if there are weaknesses and threats that need to be addressed, then we address them. And from an opportunities and strengths perspective as well, on the flip side, if there are opportunities that are just sitting out there not being taken advantage of that could offset a threat or weakness, then we look at that and try to weave it into how we're going to address it from a communication standpoint, from a marketing communication standpoint. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I'm joined by my colleague, Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West. Mary Beth, it's good to see you today. Yeah, you too, Kelly. Thanks so much. Great to join you as well as our listeners today. And you know, we're getting into the heart of spring 2021, and I'm loving the weather outside, by the way. I I had the winter doldrums (laughs) in the worst way. Uh, (laughs) And uh, already, though, I am in that mode of thinking that with the way that my, my particular year has gone, I'm about ready to move straight into 2022. <laughs> <laughs> well, now don't wish your life away, Mary Beth. <laughs> I know. I know. It, it, this is, it seems to be a recurring theme with me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you've had an interesting year so far on the PRSA front in particular. The saga there casts a pretty wide awake, right? Yeah, it, well, it does. And it has. I've um, often said I think that at this point I need to write a book someday on nonprofit trade association ethics because of what I've witnessed and experienced firsthand in our little U.S. PR trade association. It's been fairly epic, but honestly, Kelly, there's just been so much I've learned from fighting these ethics battles and fighting what's essentially become a war, unfortunately, that I do think that if I could share some of those stories, other people could probably benefit. So something may be coming down the pike in that regard. Well, one thing for sure, and I've seen this for years, but now seen it firsthand that whistleblowers, especially for whistleblowers and people who are out there in any company or in any industry who see something wrong and try to report it so that problems can be fixed. It's not always that simple. Right. It it is a, a very complex endeavor to get into. And it's like I think you and I both said back in 2019 when we first started Misinterpreted as a podcast Ethics is just one of those evergreen topics, and we're in an era right now with cause marketing and all the rest. This idea of doing the right thing has never been under such a microscope like it is today. That's absolutely true. It's a stunning situation when doing the right things carries with it so many burdens, and you've had to experience so much adversity. We've had some future guests scheduled to talk about what's happening in the PR industry on the ethics front and these conversations will be a front row seat on case studies that are happening in real time. And I think a great learning opportunity on what to do and what not to do if an organization is caught up in any unethical situation. So listeners, stay tuned for that. Thanks, Kelly. And I appreciate your support very, very much. And speaking of future, as well as facing adversity, turning to our actual chat today and what we're going to be focusing on, we thought it would be a good idea for us to springboard from the discussion on our last episode with Leslie Beal and talk more about planning ahead for 2022 because we spoke with Leslie a lot about the importance of strategic planning. Yes, and that conversation really motivated me to tackle this topic today. 
on how essential it is to make strategic planning an intentional process. One of the things that we talked about with Leslie is that if you're a business owner and you wait until November or December to start thinking about your business's upcoming calendar year or about having a strategic planning retreat, then you're already behind the eight ball. And I've been guilty of this. And, you know, in our own agency strategic planning of all of a sudden it's fourth quarter and you're like, oh God, we better get something on the calendar for strategic planning. <laughs> and then before you know it, it's the first week of December and you're doing your strategic planning for January. And that's just, that's not the best way to go about it. Yeah, I think that in our case and in the business that we're in, it's a cobbler has no shoes kind of thing for a lot of agencies or any companies that work in a consultancy capacity where they're advising clients about strategic issues. It's like you're so, you're so focused externally and you're so focused on your own clients and, and making sure that they're prepared and up to speed that lo and behold, right, you know, right under your own roof, you've you know not been able to follow your own advice because you've been focused in that way. But on that point, speaking for myself as a former business owner of about 15 years, I I absolutely can commiserate with that feeling. It's it's easy to let time just get away from you. I think that procrastination is often a big part of it. But, you know, by that same token, I think a lot of us have to fight against those tendencies and be, as you said, intentional about it. And, and planning well and planning in an intentional way has has big benefits to it, to the company, to your team, everything. And those benefits are what we're going to talk about today. And Mary Beth, you and I got together and boiled down five essential factors for any company or organization to consider as part of 2022 strategic planning and development. The five things that we've hammered out uh, that we think are really essential and that we really wanted to focus the conversation around today is, number one, getting the research right. Secondly, applying a critical eye. Third is capturing what's wrong and what's right. Fourth is committing to communication, pretty big one. And the last one, but probably the most important in, in point of fact, is involving your team at every level. And I love this list. Preach, preach. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, I have to say that I'm not always very good at number five myself because it's easy to begin to involve your team at every level. And then over time, you just kind of take it all back and start doing it all yourself. And, you know, that really is a lesson that I have to continually learn and try to keep myself from doing. But before we dive right into each aspect of the list, I want to repeat the list itself. And then I've got a little top line comment for each of the five, because I think it'll frame our discussion a little bit better for listeners to know where we're coming from on each of these five points. So first, getting the research right. So any strategic planning process is dead in the water if you don't have data backing up your aspirational goals. So it's really easy to sit down and say, okay, I want to reach X amount in revenue, or I want to grow the company this much, or I want to get this many new customers. But if you don't have the data to back up, whether it's achievable in the time frame and with the budgets you have and the resources you have, then it's not going to work. And then second, applying the critical eye. This is hard because you really have to be willing to look critically at the data and the reality of your business and your organization. And sometimes that is not easy. It's easy to just keep moving and not take the time to, to look in within your own organization and figure out what the realities are. Third, capturing what's right and what's wrong. Leaders really need to be candid about both the successes and failures. 
and not overemphasize one or the other. Look at them very matter of factly if you can. Try to take the emotion out of it. In other words, you can't be successful if you veer to the extremes of either sugarcoating it and the sugarcoating the bad or, or wallowing too much in the positive. So it's just keeping that neutrality. Fourth, committing to communication. If you aren't communicating properly internally and externally, then you're not executing. It's just that simple. And it's so hard. I mean, it's it's easy to focus on external communication and then let internal communication, you just make assumptions that everything internally is being communicated and going fine and not making assumptions is a big part of a strategic planning process. And then fifth, involving your team at every level. For many leaders, this step may seem the most obvious, but it requires every bit as much intentionality as the communication step. So one thing that we try to do in our organization with our strategic plan is revisit it monthly and then revisit it quarterly and assign out to different people on the team areas that they're responsible for. So that's the recap of the list. Yeah, that's a that's a perfect recap of the list. And as you mentioned, this is all about having a plan to get a plan, right? Each one of these elements that we want to dive into a little bit today requires not only just the CEO or the or a team leader focused on it really requires that unified management team focus to make it all happen. It can't just be all one person's responsibility to make that happen. And what's particularly important, I think, for each one of those steps is that they have to be inherent to the everyday and year round culture. It can't just be a, a one stop thing. Yeah, one day a year, right? You just right. don't wake up one day as leader of your company or of your team and say, today, I'm going to communicate well. And then the other 364 days of the year, communication is an afterthought or it simply just doesn't happen at all. That is so true. It can't, like I said, it can't happen in a vacuum, can't be siloed off. So, okay, so going through the list really one by one and having a little bit more dialogue about it, just want to hit the first item on the list first, getting the research right. And this is a a big point for, I think, our agency with the data-driven approach that we take. When it comes to research, Kelly, What do you see clients do right and what do you see them do wrong in their general approach to to research and to being purposeful about getting data on the front end so that they get into that strategic planning process fully informed? Well, the wrong part would be that most just don't do it. So there is no research going into a strategy session. There's not a real commitment to gathering data and analytics to inform strategy. You know, one of the things that I have noticed is that sometimes companies make this a much more complex endeavor than it necessarily needs to be. Sometimes the right research, depending upon the scale of the company or the size and complexity of it, really needs to be very straightforward. And it doesn't have to be something where you're investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in survey research or some type of massive operational information data gathering initiative. Sometimes it can be as simple as having some focus group types of interactions or one-to-one conversations with key stakeholders in order to identify what some core challenges or even opportunities are. So when we talk about this idea of getting the research right, I think that that's part of the planning on the front end. There should be a team conversation around what looming question marks do we have? Where do we need to invest some resources in getting at some answers that have really 
plagued us on not having the right information in hand, not having the right insight, this exercise that a lot of companies go through of throwing money against a wall and seeing what sticks. Um, right. And just because they didn't have a data informed approach. So when we talk about what clients sometimes do right or wrong, I think that possibly the the biggest piece of it is not having enough forethought on the front end of what kind of information gathering should we do? Well, I agree because it's a process to sit down and figure out what you need to know and then go find out what you need to know. And I do think that you're right that sometimes maybe we overthink it and it doesn't have to be some big complicated list, but we do need to figure out what data points are going to help us be successful. Right. So second item on the list, applying the critical eye. Okay, so data, I think all of our experiences, data means nothing if it's just a bunch of numbers on a page. And in public relations, we have to be part of the team in applying real analysis to the numbers, being able to connect sometimes quite a few dots together to understand what is the core of the of the problem that has manifested itself or on the more positive side, where is, is a major opportunity looming for us that would give us a competitive advantage someplace that our competitors are not operating where we could really meet a market need. So on those points, what are your feelings about what happens right or what happens wrong? Well, our team is really all about the data. And we like to say that if we can't measure it, we don't do it. And I think that NPR, um, it's very, I think it's underrepresented the amount of data and analytics that we take into consideration and try to correlate to results, whether that's a behavioral shift or converting a consumer. PR is a very data-driven or should be a very data-driven profession. Would you agree with that, Mary Beth? Oh, absolutely. What should clients be ready to do when it comes to applying a critical eye with strategic data and insights? For me, I think that one of the most important things is for a communications team to understand the why of the message. You know, why are we communicating this message or why are we communicating it to this audience or segmenting things in a particular way? And if the communications team doesn't fully have their arms around that of of applying the critical eye to what's happening with the numbers and why too, the client is maybe wanting to emphasize a certain focus or a certain message over others, it really limits our capacity to be as effective, you know, as we could be. So I think that any communications team, whether it's an agency team or whether it's an in-house team, has to be extremely collaborative and very vested in the process with their full management team so that they are truly understanding the the hows and the whys of what the mandate is, if you will. Right. Totally agree. Totally agree. So let's talk about point number three, capturing what's right or and what's wrong. This is what I call the, the coming to Jesus portion of the program. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you work with clients to face up to their weaknesses and threats, or again, on the positive side too, also embracing their strengths and their opportunities. Kelly, from your perspective, how do you best help leaders and managers take on some of those more difficult topics when it comes to capturing what's going right or what's going wrong? Right. Well, it sounds pretty basic because one of the tools we use is just a a simple SWOT analysis of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And 
we put it up on the wall and the conversations get really honest, typically get really honest. When you have a group of employees or managers or management, business owners in a room, and they start getting to the threats category, we have some real honest conversations about how those threats are going to drive change in the upcoming year or the upcoming quarter, whatever timeline it is that we're working with. So I think there just has to be a willingness and an openness within the culture of the company to go ahead and call a spade a spade. And if there are weaknesses and threats that need to be addressed, then we address them. And from an opportunities and strengths perspective as well, on the flip side, if there are opportunities that are just sitting out there not being taken advantage of that could offset a threat or weakness, then we look at that and try to weave it into how we're going to address it from a communication standpoint, from a marketing communication standpoint. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I guess one other point that I'll raise on the capturing what's right or wrong for clients is helping them separate the wheat from the chaff on something that is aspirational versus where they are grounded in their reality. I know that in consulting with clients over a lot of years, sometimes in these strategic planning meetings, different managers will talk about aspirational things like what they would like to be or who they want their brand to be emblematic of in the marketplace. And they aren't there yet, maybe even close to being there yet. And sometimes in these strategic planning sessions, the conversations can get skewed if there is not a real sense of reality between, okay, this is where we are now. This is where we want to be five years from now. And there is this distance factor that we have to to try to travel in order to get from point A to point B. So when we talk about strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, sometimes I add that extra column at the at the end, and that's an A for aspirations. So okay. having a place to capture that can sometimes really be effective when you get to the goal setting part of the conversation. To your point on aspirations, Mary Beth, I think the whole conversation comes down to there has to be a trust element between you and the client and you and the team in order for real truth to come out and aspirational truths to come out and to figure out if that's really who we want to be and where we want to go, how are we going to do it? So the fourth point on the list is committing to communication. And of course, communication is our biggest wheelhouse at Fletcher Marketing PR, both internal and external communication strategy. So what are your thoughts on committing to communication, Mary Beth? Yeah, I do think that it has to start at the CEO level and to a commitment there for there to be a strong communication ethic throughout the organization. And that means not only just moral support from a like a yay raw perspective, and it's always great when a company is led by a CEO who is a natural born communicator. It's really helpful. I know that when we work with clients who are blessed with CEOs who have just natural born communication skills, they're at ease with communicating, whether it's to internal audiences and staff or whether it's even the media or you know someone just kind of throwing a microphone in their face and you know having them speak very impromptu on any kind of topic and you know having it that natural ease that's not always a very commonplace situation and and you have some excellent CEOs out there who don't necessarily have that particular skill set but i would say at the very least if a if a CEO and the larger team can embrace the idea that communications is important it needs to be funded 
appropriately so that the right communication strategies can be executed at a level of professionalism and on brand as they need to be to connect with audiences and create those relationships that are so important. So when we talk about committing to communication, we generally are focused on that level, making sure that the CEO has that focus, has that commitment that she or he truly understands for themselves. Wow, if we're not communicating effectively, it's going to be very difficult for us to achieve the core business objectives that we have to accomplish. So, um, yeah. yeah, those are all the things that I that immediately come to my mind. Well, and one of the things about committing to communication is I know we've worked with several clients in leadership roles who don't enjoy the, the internal or external communication yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's so, not their fault. It's no, just, it's not. It, it, it's a matter of personal preference and like right. how you're wired, really. But we've had to work with them and lead them down the path of understanding why it matters and why it has to be top down. Absolutely. I, I, I fully agree with that. And so then on to the final point, Lynn, um, let's talk about that. As stated earlier, it might be the most important one involving your team at every level. So strategic planning can't be treated as an afterthought and neither can allowing your team to have ownership in the plan that it shouldn't be an afterthought either. Also, it's not just at the management level that this is the case. It has to be at the team level. So, Kelly, from your vantage point, what have your observations been on where companies make mistakes in not including people in the right ways? Well, I've seen this happen um, where in the strategic planning process, everybody is involved and given a role and then given assignments, but then there's no accountability standard. So these strategic plans end up on a shelf collecting dust and everybody leaves all pumped up. But if there's no follow up and there's no processes in place for holding people accountable for their role in executing the strategic plan, then you're not involving your team at every level and you just wasted your time and money and you probably will not meet your strategic goals. So I think that it cannot be overstated that there have to be assignments made, responsibilities given out, and then processes put in place for measuring what progress is being made on each and every one of those tactics that are um, working towards the implementation of the strategic plan. In, in my experience, so many staff members, team members, and, and at all kinds of levels of an organization, very much inclusive of the frontline level, they like being involved. They like being in the know. They like understanding, again, the hows and the whys of the company's direction and why they are being asked to do certain things or to do them in a certain way. Uh, you tend to have far more buy-in and far more sense of individuals embracing a positive path forward if they have been involved in the process, too, of <laughs> mapping out that plan. So especially within really large organizations or uh, you know companies that have fairly complex hierarchy, especially with, say, a headquarters and then field locations or like a manufacturing facility with widespread locations, et cetera, 
that does have to be taken on in a really intentional way as well as involving your team across the, 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 the expanse of all of that. So, well, and I'm always surprised actually at even in our own organization that people really do care about the why behind everything that we do or the why this decision was made or why we're doing it this way and how, and it reminds me, my son graduated from college recently and we were just reminiscing over the years and his childhood. And he said, mom, you know, the reason I hated school, elementary school. And I was like, why? And he goes, I finally figured out that I didn't understand why I had to go to school. I just was so confused that I had to leave the comfort and of my parents and go to school. And he goes, you never told me why you never explained to me why I had to go to school. And I was like, <laughs> I'm just like, no, you just have to go. So, <laughs> which is, you know, the pat phrase of every parent in America. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it really comes, yeah, it's really simple. If you involve people in the why and the how and how the sausage is made, then they're going to be more invested in the success of it. Well, and what's interesting there too is that you can really have an opposite net effect if you're purposefully leaving people in the dark. There's nothing that's going to tick people off more or make them feel resentful or make them have feelings of animosity toward their manager or the executive team if they feel like you know they are so distrusted or they are so disrespected <laughs> that they are not given that peek under the tent as to the hows and the whys. So it truly does make involving your team at every level a a really critical aspect. And people will make up what you don't tell them. So <laughs> that's right. Information <laughs> voids are not our friends. So, no. well, so <laughs> yeah, this is great. This has been a really good conversation and excellent feedback. Thank you, Kelly, for all of that guidance. And I hope that these guidelines and with all of the advice that we're sharing today, more organizations can bring a purposeful and intentional process to that strategic planning process that may, they may be embracing for 2022. And after all, in about two months, Kelly, believe it or not, we're already going to be halfway through this calendar yeah, year. So the time truly is now to start thinking about 2022 strategic planning and maybe shaking up the way you're doing things. And it makes me think, Mary Beth, that I want to sit down in July in Start right. planning for the strategic planning so we can gather the data and the research and everything and have plenty of time to do it right. So thanks for joining me to share these ideas and lighting a fire under me. Of course. Yeah, and I'm anticipating uh, a message from you in my email inbox here shortly. I'm going to have a new task <laughs> yes. to, to, to get ready. Exactly. <laughs> well, this has been great. It's been my pleasure to uh, speak with you and, of course, to all of our listeners. Thank you for supporting the Misinterpreted PR podcast by Fletcher Marketing PR. Please follow us at Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can follow Kelly Fletcher at Twitter handle KD Fletcher and me at Mary Beth West. And special thanks to, as always, to our sound engineer, Chris Hill with Knoxville based HumblePod. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.